want you to turn to Genesis chapter 16. We haven't been there very long. <laughs> uh, folks, can I tell you, the reason I camped on this is simply because I had done a great deal of research over the years on this and then had to counsel with so many people, had to listen to so many couples lie, watched them lie, knew they were lying at the time, even called some of them out on it, and then they lied about lying. And so as I dealt with those couples over the years and, and, and then even in my, my own marriage and in, in, in your marriages as well, where there be mo- many of them good marriages, you still have issues in your life And many of them go way back in our life. You know what? Way back in our life. And so when I got to this passage, it just dawned on me a whole lot of things I had studied and prepared needed to be put together. And I knew if I did not do it here, I probably wouldn't stop and do it anywhere else. And so that's why I've done that. Because I want you just to know that what will happen if you just refuse to wait on God. You're going to get in trouble, folks. Listen, there is, there is never-ending happenings for those who refuse to wait on God's timing. It just don't stop. The events keep coming. The problems keep coming. The troubles keep coming. It never ends when we jump the gun on God. Hear me. I don't care what age we are. I don't care what kind of, th- how things are in our life now. There will always be those things popping up through our life because we jumped the gun on God. And so, you know the story here in Genesis 16. God had promised Abraham. He had given him the messianic promise. He had included us in that promise. We're, he was going to make a covenant, and it would be a covenant for all the world. He'd make it be a covenant with Israel where he would give them that land. It would be a covenant made that the Messiah would be from the seed of that covenant. And so God had promised all that to Abraham. Well, some time had passed and he had relocated all the way down from the Sinai, which is in Saudi Arabia, to the south in Saudi Arabia uh, and down near Yemen in that area. And so he moves himself up there, he finally, after his daddy-in-law, Tira, dies, he goes over, or his daddy, Tira, dies, he goes over into what we know today as the promised land. Well, when they get there, nothing seems to happen. There doesn't seem to be any of God's promises being fulfilled. Nothing God said was happening. And so, in verses 1 through 4, they decide they'd make it happen. And so, they come up with the fleshly solution. Isn't that what most time we do? If God's not doing it, we'll see, does it? Now, you're in trouble when you do that. If you want to tell God how to do it, and you want to tell God when to do it, you are way, way, way out of bounds. And those kind of decisions will affect you for the rest of your life. It'll affect your children for the rest of their life. It'll affect society for the rest of life. And this decision that was made right here is still affecting us today. That's why I'm preaching it, because all the way through, you're going to see it. That's why that we have something called ISIS. 
Uh, that, that, that's why that, that we have Al-Qaeda. That's why we have all of these terrorist organizations. That's why that we have Arabic groups in the Middle East who fight each other and hate each other until they get a common cause against someone else and then they get together and fight them. We're still having problems because of Sarai and Abram's decision. Now, I hope you got that. So I'm not going to go back and preach all that again. Because if I do, y'all are going to accuse me. Well, you didn't preach that sermon three times, and so you'll put me in the hospital again. <sighs> uh, well, I also throwed in an addendum last week, and I do want to do a little bit with the addendum. And first of all, uh, the, the, the cause of marital sin is there's only one time in the Bible that we find or only one reason in the Bible that God gives for divorce or divorce that causes somebody to sin. Y'all with me? Matthew tells us that. Mark chapter 10, verse 11 tells us that. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6 tells us that. You know, it's the only sin that God picked out that said, this right here not only will cause you to sin, but it'll cause her to sin, and it not only cause her to sin, but it'll cause who she marries to sin, and it not only cause who she marries to sin, but it'll cause who you marry to sin. So we're already got four in one. Now, what God mean for it to be? Two becomes one. We already messed it up. We've already brought three people into every marriage, two that should not be there. And it just keeps going and keeps going. Now, y'all understanding this? Now, the reason it's so important is because we promised we wouldn't do that. We covenanted in, in, in Ecclesiastes 8, that we made a covenant before God, that means that we said it is an unbroken covenant. We're making a vow that we will not, we will not break our vow. And God said it's better not to vow at all. So let me tell some of you something. If you're wanting to get married just so bad, it's better not to marry at all as to marry and not keep your covenant. We said. That's what he said, okay? So, as we go through the scriptures, Malachi 2.14 again calls it a covenant of youth, a covenant of youth. That don't mean old people can't get married. It just means that and primarily marriage is a covenant of youth. And youth in that day was older than youth today. You got to remember that, okay? Now, let's look at this confession of sin there was, there's no wonder sexual sins were so messed up because over the years now and before we ever get out of the book of Genesis, we're going to find out that sexual sin has become so messed up, so confused. By the time we get to the time when God starts giving the law, he starts dealing with things like bestiality. <laughs> I mean, we had not gone very long in the history of Israel and God is laying out laws that you think, surely none of God's people would do that, but they were. 
He's dealing with homosexuality. He's dealing with lesbianism. He's dealing with unnatural use, whatever that contains. And so they're confused in their sins. You say, I don't understand that. Because remember I showed you last week that the sin, that sexual sin is different from any other sin. Now, I want, you, I want that embedded in your heart because it's going to be when you do it, whether you like it or not. 1 Corinthians 6, he said that all other sin is without the body. But this is a sin against the body. You see, I, I, I can steal your ring and I can restore your ring. But if I steal your virginity, I can't restore your virginity. Y'all with me? It's a sin against the body. It's a sin that will affect and scar you for the rest of your life. Now, I'm going to give you how to cope with that in just a few moments, so so don't, don't give up on me. So spiritually, you can be made whole. When God saved you, he spiritually made you whole. Body, soul, spirit, spiritually, he made you whole. But physically, you will own the sexual partners you've had till death. Not in your spirit, but in your flesh. Now, you're not going to hear this preached many places. But it's absolute truth. And so that's why people are messed up in their marriages. It's because when they were, during their premarital sexual years, they were free. And they were unbound. And they were at liberty to do what they wanted to do. And they think, oh, man, I'm getting by with this. And, you know, I'm really cool out here. And I'm going from one girl to the other. I'm going from one man to the other. And then later on, somewhere down the road, all that stuff's embedded in your mind. And you find the person that you really love. And you find the person that you want to spend the rest of your days with. And to find the person who has touched you like nobody else has touched you. And you want to share your whole life with them. But you can't because you've messed your mind up. And all you've got to give them is a commitment from that day forward to live for God and live for them and to deal with that flesh every time it comes into your mind. Because I'm going to tell you, it will come into your mind. It will. Every time that you are having a physical relationship, the devil will see that names, faces, events, songs, poems, little things, Places you were parked, places you were at, homes you were at, those things start to come to your mind. So I'm giving you some counsel tonight, all right? Is that all right if I do that? All right. Now, since it affects us, the first thing God says, where where does it mainly affect us at? Okay. Okay. And, and, and you can write down 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. Write that passage down 
and that'll help you. That's the passage I found to where we start getting victory over the situation, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, because that's where the devil comes into our mind and starts to mess with our heads. We walk, verse 3 says, in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. In other words, we walk in our physical bodies and we move in our physical bodies, but when we get ready to fight the devil, we can't fight him with our physical body. We can't fight him with our physical mind. Are you understanding me? So, you say, what, what has to happen? Look what he says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You see, that thing that happened in your life way back there, even though it was that horrible sin against the body, became a stronghold in your life. And the devil said, I'm going to use this thing on them the rest of their days and their kids the rest of their days and their church the rest of their days and and their family the rest of their days. And so it became a stronghold in your life. And how's he pull it down? Casting down imagination. You know how many thoughts you have every day? I'm talking about average people. Average people have 20,000 thoughts a day. Now, that's average. Some of us pull it way down, you know. 20,000 thoughts a day in 24 hours. Imagine how many of those the devil has a chance to operate in. Scary almost, isn't it? But look what he says. With that spiritual warfare we have, that that we have that helmet over our head, right? That helmet of salvation. And we have this breastplate of righteousness. And look what he says. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Now, what would do that? If the devil come to you and said, now listen, I want you to know you can't ever be forgiven of that sin. You can't. No, you committed that sin. You can't ever be forgiven. What he don't know is you can be forgiven of that sin. You just can't get the scar gone. He said, there's a difference between being scarred and unforgiven. So here he said this. So what you do is when you know what you're hearing is against the knowledge of God, you bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, at the moment that you are having your uh, experiences with your husband or your wife, at the times when you're the closest and, the, and intimate, times when you want, when you're just together at any moment, whenever those thoughts come into your mind, you cast them down by the Spirit of God and the power of God that's in you without ever uttering anything from your mouth, without your mate knowing anything about it. You cast it down because it exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. And you can't allow that because the knowledge of God is greater than all. So he, he deals with how that we need to renew our mind because sin will affect our mind. And by the way, I'm not going to go over this again, but read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 because those two Psalms is how David got his way back to God when he sinned against Bathsheba. Psalm 32, Psalm 51. Those two Psalms is the Psalms that David wrote when he was so broken before God 
over the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. Just write it down. You won't, we won't have time tonight to deal with it other than what I said last week, that David made it clear in that sin that when you commit a sexual sin against God, first of all, you have to abhor it. You have to hate it. You have to hate it. And then you have to accept the consequences of it. You confess it, and when you confess it, you say, God, I hate what I've done to my mate. I hate what I've done to my husband, to my wife, to my family, to my children, to my church, to my country, to my nation, to my city, to the kingdom. Oh, God, I hate it, and I'm the one who did it, nobody else. I'm the one who did it. And he wept his way back to Jesus Christ and the evidence of that repentance is he became a fresh soul winner and he joined the choir again, verse 14. You know why some folks have a bad spirit in the choir? Because they got something in their heart to never have dealt with. They got by with, they think, but they never dealt with it. And I ain't getting no help tonight. But... You see, I think real repentance means that we clear it with God. And when our mates confront us with that sin, we clear it with them. And when our friends that's close to us confront us, we clear it with them. And then they keep their mouth shut and pray for you before God. Just say amen. A good place to do it. Don't say, hey, hey, I was talking to Brother Van Rocker. Let me tell you what he told me. I've learned not to say too much. You don't say too much because if anybody tells it won't be right, number one, it'll be a lie. And number two, it'll be a creative lie. It'll be one I couldn't even thought up. I mean, it's just, you, you have to be real, real careful. So I, here's who I've decided I'm going to clear it with. Number one, I'm going to clear it with God. When I've cleared it with God, I have peace in my heart. Now, if it's something that's unknown, it don't have to be clear with any, anybody else. But if it's something that's known, it has to be cleared with those who would ask of you to clear it up. And so you do. And so there's the evidence of repentance and the expectations of God. And uh, when you renew your spirit, he said, you'll, you'll get like wings. And you'll, you say, how do you do that? Second Corinthians 4, 16 says you do it day by day. Not week by week, not month by month, not year by year, day by day. Day by day. This scar will be gone someday. And so you have to see your mate through spiritual eyes. I got a new wife. I got a new husband. Uh, they're, not, they're not like they used to be. They're not who they used to be. They're not what they used to be. They were the old man. They were the old woman. But now they're the new man. They're the new woman. And that's the way we have to see them. And if you want to get over what's bugging you, if you want to get over what's eating at you, if you want to get over what you can't get over, you've got to come to that place 
to where you get contrite before God and say, God, I hate what I've done, but I love you. Can I, would you write this line down? I don't think it's in my notes. It might be. But when you get to where you can see the mate and not the mistake, you're victorious. That's pretty good. I thought that enough. <laughs> can, I, can I just tell you something else? When you start reading about how God talks about the family in connection to what the church ought to look like as it represents it, right? Okay, he, he starts chapter number four. He starts talking about putting on the new man, not the old man. And one of the first things he deals with is lying. Have you noticed in the Bible how much God hates lying? He hates lying. Absolutely despises lying. And look, in, in Ephesians 4.23, Ephesians 4.25, that's why I say to the mates, if, there, if, you are, if you are a mate and you have been a husband or wife and you have a, a boyfriend or girlfriend and you've been caught in, in, in a sexual way and, and you know you've been caught and, 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 and it's been revealed and, and, and your partner, your, your mate or your future bride, your future husband or your mate at the time knows about it and they set you down and they start asking you questions. If you get mad, that means you don't want to leave your sin. You see, you won't mind answering the questions as long as they're asking the right way. And you'll be honest before God like you already have. And now you've got to be honest about any question. Answer every question. You say, why? Because if you don't do it now, you'll have to do it the rest of your life. Something will pop up. Say, oh, yeah, let me ask you about this. Something else will pop up. Oh, yeah, let me ask you about this. And you'll be answering questions the rest of your life. So won't you just clear the air? And be honest with every question that's asked. He said, well, why does that have to be brought? Don't ask that question. It needs to be brought up because there is a person who in their mind loved you, in their heart loved you, and they did not want to have their heart broken like it's hurting and breaking like it's hurting, and they need to know something that'll make them feel better. And if answering their questions will help you, why not do it? lie to them just tell them I'm sorry I was a fool I shouldn't have you were the only one for me but I made a fool out of myself and answer those questions am, am, I, am I still okay and I got, I got to I won't make sure I get further than I did last week Chris will come back and get my tape when he gets back from vacation and say Look at there, you preached the same sermon three Sundays and three Wednesday nights in a row. And I want you to go to him and say, that is not true. He put some stuff in there that you'd never heard before, all right? Y'all help me out with him, all right? Okay. Uh, he, 
if you want you another passage to kind of help you, you, you use Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse number 23, and go all the way to the end of verse 32. And then you do, go to Colossians 3, and you start in chapter 2, and go all the way down through verse 19. Both of those will basically say the same things. And one of the things it'll keep saying, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. Romans 12, 12, it's such a wonderful verse when he, you know the verse in Romans 12, 12. Remember, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, sacrifice, holy, and acceptable unto God. Why is that such an important verse to God? Because what you're saying to God is, is listen, God, I've been a mess. I haven't been what I ought to be. I haven't been sold out. I call to be sold out. But God, I want you to know I'm laying my life on your altar. There's nobody ahead of you in my life. You're number one in my life. You're first in my life. And you always be from this day forward. I give myself totally to you. I love you more than anything else in the world. And after you've done that, and you can do that with your mate, then your mate can start to feel peace about past sin. Now, no one is better because God has done the work. Now, I want you to go to 1 Peter 3, and I'm going to go over those right quick with you that some of you didn't get last week. Some of, several of you come up to me and said, you went over those too fast. Would you go over them again? So I'm going to go over them again, and uh, I've got uh, plenty of time to do it tonight, and then we'll come back, and then when we hit the ground next time, we're going to hit the ground running. I've spent three weeks on that, and hopefully God give me... Uh, Grace, I'm going to place this in a book and um, uh, I'm going to triple space it and uh, um, (laughs) I'll have to have somebody edit it and all kinds of stuff, but I I want to get it in a book uh, and get it in the hands of young people, uh, if nothing else, just out of our church. But uh, all right, everybody got 1 Peter 3? Got it? Okay. Now, we're talking here about Sarah. Look in verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, by, by now, both names have been changed. So that means something spiritual has happened in both of them's life, right? Something spiritual's happened in both of them's life. One of them, now, instead of Sarah, she's Sarah. Instead of Abra, Abram, he's Abraham. So something spiritual has happened in each one of those lives. Now, since he, she had shared her husband with another woman, it didn't just happen one time. It was a continual thing. It kept going. That affair didn't stop, even though it was a knowledgeable affair. It continued to go on. It bore other fruit. And so they thought they'd gotten by with it, but obviously something happened spiritually in their life, and we'll hopefully pick up on it as we go through their life. And 1 Peter chapter 3, when he gets to dealing with husbands and wives here, he, this is how he says it. I'm going to start verse number 1. I think I'm going to give you about uh, 7 or 8, 9, 10, 11 things, okay? <laughs> something like that. First of all, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husband you see that be in subjection to your own husband look at verse 5 being in subjection to their own husband 
There's twice subjection is used. And if you'll read in passage in the Colossians and Ephesians, you'll also find that same word used, submission uh, or, uh, or subjection here. And by the way, when the Bible talks about subjection for a woman or subjection for a man, he is not talking about something coerced. He's not something about something subservient. He's not something about talking about something forced. He's talking about something willingly out of love. Okay, you got that? So number one, look at here's how to have a better relationship. Here's how to get over that thing that may scar you for the rest of your life, but it don't have to it don't have to ruin the rest of your life. Your marriage may not be perfect, but it can be great. Look, look, first of all, believe your mate will get better, verse number one. So I've been waiting a long time. That's all right. If you're gonna stay with them. At least give them the advantage they're going to get better if you're going to stay with them. They're going to get better. They're not going to get battered. going to get better. Y'all with me? That can refer to man and woman, okay? And I'm kind of putting both of these together even though about six of these verses are referring primarily to the ladies, but I'm putting them both together because I think spiritually they'll work. Now look, here's, here's the second thing he begins to go on and go and tell them. Number two, look what he says. That if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. In other words, your life and your talk and your conduct and your behavior become so pure and so clean and so righteous, they can't help but see Jesus has done something in you. See, so you, when you talk to your husband, now you're talking to a different man. When you talk to your wife, you're talking to a different wife. Something God has done in their hearts to change you. And maybe you wasn't a Christian, but now you, you're interested. Now you're, listen, if God could do that for them, maybe he can do it for me. Amen. That's what he's saying. All right, look at number three. I'll tell you something else, too. That last, that last phrase there where he said, coupled with fear, that means that he sees now how sorry you are for your sin and how afraid you are for sinning again. You fear sin. You show me too many people today that fear sin. Now move on, look. Your clothing becomes modest and you dress for your mates, not others. And you give him or her from the inside what none of your lovers ever got. No, I didn't hear that. The question, who's adorning, let not be the outward planning of, that, of, of, of the hair and wearing of gold and putting on apparel, but let it be of the hidden man of the heart and which is not corruptible. That means it, it, it can't rot. It's going to be like that. God's fixed it. No scars, no rot, no corruption. Look, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great praise. You're not loud and you're not bossy. And something's changed. You 
the way you dress, now you give your mate, your husband, your wife, something they never got from another lover, something from the inside. And that one the inside came from God. We love him because he first loved us. You can't love them until you love him. And when you love him, then you can love them. Okay. Now, make sure that you understand that that some of this, I'm stretching just a little bit to include the men, but I don't want these ladies to go out of here tonight saying, you left out all the men, because I'm not. I'm going to get them. I guarantee you I am. Because what works for the man here will work for the woman. What works for the woman will work for the man. What you have in your heart that all those lovers they had, you can give men what they never did give them. All they wanted was, all they, all they lived for was lust. Now look, he, he, keep, he keeps going and he says, he says, for after the man woman, holy man, trusted in God, adorned themselves in being in subjection to their own husband. In other words, there's a, 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 a forgiveness here that starts to take place. There's a pleasing of your mate. You want to please your wife. You want to please your husband. The, 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 first of all, the only way to do that is to please Jesus. And when you please Jesus, you want to please each other. And when that mate starts to see that you want to please them, that you care something about them, that you care about what they think, that you care about what they need, that you care about them, you want to please them, they know something's happened to you. It's a new man, new woman. And so put your pout and your mouth under his leadership, the Bible says. Because there can only be room for one leader. Even if you hadn't had an affair, if you want an affair-proof marriage, there has to be submission unto your husband. I'm not talking about forced, volatile, mean. I'm talking about willingly, lovingly submitted to the person that you love the most from your heart. It will do more to touch him than anything else you can do. That don't mean you have to get run over. You say, well, what do I do if my husband comes in and beats me every day? You call the deacons. And you deacons call up about six others and you go drag that dude out in the front yard and you beat the living devil out of him. And I won't go because I'll get accused of saying something I shouldn't have said. But I'll be cheering from afar. That's the way it used to be handled. It all be handled that way today. You say, you ought to be able to trust your mate so you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. Then you continue to live together with increasing knowledge. Look, that you know each other. You just continue to live with increasing knowledge of each other, being afraid, not afraid, with any amazement. You just, in verse 7, you dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Either way, you start to honor them and you start to protect them and you start to bless them. You start to appreciate them because you start to understand them personally. 
And I'm not into all these new books that's written about, you know, Christian psychology and all that stuff. I, I really don't care anything, but I do care about what this book says. And this book says far more than any of those books says. And that's what this book says do. Number six, you feel like you are at the back of the lover's line if these things don't happen in your life and you never can line up to the standard that somebody else has set before you. You say, I don't have to listen to this mess and that preacher. He don't know what he's talking about. Yes, I do. I can tell you something. If you don't get it, things right with God and right with your mate, even though your mate not know anything about it, he, don't, he or she don't have to, but you get it right with God, and then as a result of that, you start acting like a mate, like the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, next thing you know, things will start to change in your life, and you wouldn't have an affair if your life depended upon it. And then they usually put their mates, too many of us, I guess, do, but marriage was to keep flesh under control. Did you know that the, some people today think that, mar- that marriage is sex? No. Sex was the last thing God gave in marriage to keep lust. He said, if you just can't, Keep your lust down, then go ahead and marry. But it's better if you remain as I. Sex was never the cure for a good marriage. And you know what? Had there been only one partner in your life, you'd have never needed another standard. You'd have had only one. I'm not making any sense, I don't guess, but... Verse 9 says he heals and forgives and he don't remove the scar but you'll never be tempted if you'll do these things that he told you to do. I think if you'll just keep doing what he told you to do your prayers will not be hindered. You can pray together. Things will start changing in your spiritual wall. You'll want to come to church. You'll want to come to Sunday school. You'll want to come Wednesday night. You'll want your kids to come. You'll want to be under the word of God. You'll just want to do that. Things will change in your spiritual life. You can pray together because that barrier has been removed. Oh, he can't. He may not. He or she may not can see the scar. It's there. But you see, the scar doesn't matter anymore because he's not living in the old man. You're living in the new man. So, last of all is make sure the Bible says, finally, be all mine, having compassion one another. Love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, and don't render evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing and blessing that you are there in two calls. You should not inherit a blessing. In other words, blaming someone for your sin is your way of hurting them. I'm through, but listen. If every time you and your wife sit down to talk about an indiscretion somewhere it happened in one of your lives down the road, you're both well aware of it. You know it did. It's, it's, it's not, it, it's a public matter. And every time you sit down, you sit down and say, well, I wouldn't have done that had you loved me like you should. That's blaming. You own your sin. Because if not, it's your way of hurting them. That's the only way you can hurt them is to blame them. 
And then they feel guilty because you know what? Had I done that, Lord, maybe, I, maybe that wouldn't have happened. But friend, I want to tell you something. It didn't happen because of something somebody done. It happened because of a choice somebody made. 